Welcome into the Maroon Mike podcast. I'm your co-host, Andrew Miller. Another co-host, Dan Faulkner. And I'm your other other co-host, Lambsdog. Have we had this trio on the show before? It's been a minute. We we might have for baseball, actually. Uh, we had probably a great, at some we had point. A, we, yeah, we had a group. It was all four of us. It's been a while. Um, and our predictions were not close. Of course not. Not 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 even not at all. Um hi everyone. How's it going? Uh Mississippi State fans listening to us out there. Uh anything happened today? Anything of significance? Uh Michigan's uh has a halftime lead against St. John's, if that's of any importance. They're at uh Madison Square Garden. I don't know. That that's something, right? Uh, Rick Patino controlling himself. He's he's not getting a little worked up. Not yet. Not a little overly excited. Uh, gotta don't want him to change his pants pretty soon. Um yeah, uh there was there was news today. Um Mississippi State has parted ways with Zach Arnett, who will finish not even a full season as the head coach of the Bulldogs. I put this out on our our uh, podcast Twitter account that plan was if Mississippi State lost to Texas A&M, we would dive into a hot board of candidates because the writing was on the wall for what was going to happen with the football program, and that's been the case for a few weeks now. But you technically had to let things play out because crazier things have happened. You know, maybe they would have flipped the switch against Kentucky. They didn't. But even after that game, it's like, well, three games left. I mean, maybe they find a way. If, like, I, I don't believe any of us thought six and six was going to save him, but I think most of us were like, well, if he beats A and M, who knows, right? It, like, it may, maybe something could could switch and happen. And I was like, I, I think I'd said if he went seven and five, all right, fine. But I knew that that would obviously mean winning out, which would obviously mean beating Texas A and M. So I put up together the plan. Like, if that happens, obviously we have to talk about it. If they win, that that'd be huge. But if they lose, we we know where this is headed. We might as well get ahead of it. We'll start talking some options. Mississippi State didn't just lose. Mississippi State got absolutely embarrassed. Um 51 to 10 is your final score. State's only touchdown came on the very first play of the game on a kickoff return by Xavion Thomas. Other than that, they managed uh three points the rest of the night. One of the worst games I've ever seen. As a state fan, that that was also it felt like it was taking forever. It really like I I swear in the third quarter I was like, how is the game not done? And I thought I thought for a second like this is just, is this game taking long? But then I realized that the games that had kicked off at the same time were moving at like the same pace. So I guess it's just when you're getting that demolished, things just slow down. Um, but that was an abysmal showing. And that was the type of showing that gets coaches fired. And there was a good chance that that was the showing that would get Zach Arnett fired. Well, yesterday, it felt like that was that was not going to be the case because Zach Arnett was not fired. The other coach involved in that game was fired in Jimbo Fisher. Uh, you want to talk about demoralizing, having the coach who just beat you by 41 points be the one who gets fired the next day. That's not a great place for, for your program. Um, and obviously, A&M had been moving in that direction for a while. And I think they also – they had clearly decided that what they were going to do. And I also believe that they 
did not want to allow Jimbo to suddenly win out and save his job when they felt it was clear we have to make a move. Um, and Mississippi State fans spent the rest of the day panicking as to why hadn't it happened. People losing their mind on Zach Selman as if he had committed some crime against humanity. I tried to explain why because I had heard, you know, potentially this was not like inside info or anything. It was just someone's interpretation of the contract was that buyout clause that would cut the uh, his buyout in half wouldn't kick in until after the year. So I was like, okay, that would make sense. You know, you're trying to save four and a half million dollars. Uh, but, you know, couldn't really figure much out. Well, and then I wake up to the news today of Zach Arnett has been let go. And apparently what, just, what it was was Selman was not in town yesterday. That was really what it boiled down to. Um, to, to go ahead and make that move, he was traveling. A weird tenure. Uh, obviously, Arnett takes over via tough circumstances and, you know, gets the opportunity to become the full-time head coach, decides to make it his own, and just didn't work out. Yeah, that's the situation. We kind of talked about this about a year ago, I guess 11 months now. We were talking. We weren't – it was the only decision you could make, but we just didn't know if if it was going to be the best decision. But based on all the – so much being up in the air – you just had to hire him. And at the time, right, I think some people were a bit confused why we gave him a four-year contract, like the full four years. I mean, that was just a way to say, hey, we're here to to put our trust, put our faith in you. And in today's college football world, really, a buyout, what's a buyout, right? A few million dollars, okay. I mean, Texas A&M just dropped $75 million. What's that to them, right? Uh, what's a few million to us? Uh, buyouts to nothing nowadays and so giving him four years was just a, a way to kind of voice out you know hey look we're just gonna we're gonna hand this to you you have control of it let's try to maintain some momentum right we just won the egg bowl um you know we had we had a, an appointment at the at the uh, outback or, or whatever it's rely quest bowl um you know it's like let's try to build on some momentum couldn't do it and and so and, and obviously with some recruits jumping ship and and just not great recruiting so far and a bad season. Yeah, it, it makes sense to to move on now. Uh, a buyout, like I said, buyout, buyout doesn't mean anything. Anyone can find a few million dollars at an SEC school, anybody. So, you know, I, I think everybody is is thankful for for what Zach Arnett has given to this university, especially as a defensive coordinator. And, and doing what he could to try and, you know, maintain a, a symbol of success. Um, but, you know, yeah, it just didn't didn't work out. And and that's okay. That's kind of that's how the college football world works now. Well, and, and Lounge, I'll let you hear your thoughts, but I just wanted to make this point. Like, you talk about the buyout. That contract was essentially a – it was an interim contract without calling him an interim. The fact that he agreed to terms – that allowed, like, you're talking about $3 million a year, which was second to last in the SEC as it was, which justified given that you're talking about he was not really – he was forcing the role. And, look, State made the move because they felt like they had to stabilize things amidst an impossible situation. And that you did not have an athletic drink. So it, it was very understandable that it's like, okay, 
you've got this guy who has done a great job as DC. He's talked about as an up and comer. He's a guy that our own fans have said for, you know, since his first year, since Zach Arnett was first on campus, there were fans saying that that could be the guy that ends up replacing Leach down the line. What was the thought process behind Zach Arnett? Um, so it was like, okay, we have to have somebody to stabilize things. We're just going to promote him. But the contract they gave him, the fact that the buyout gets cut in half if he gets fired, the fact that it's uh, – if he you know if he gets another job, I forget the official phrasing for it, uh, but if he does get another job, whatever money he makes on that new deal goes away from the amount. So we're talking, okay, $9 million remaining on the contract. You cut that in half to four and a half, which is already nothing. And then you consider that a top-end defensive coordinator in this sport, and he is going to be viewed as a pretty high-end D.C. option, that you're talking two to three million. If you're state, you can be getting out of this paying about two million to this guy as your buyout. That is nothing. All right, Mississippi State may not have Texas A&M money, but they're an SEC school. They got that. That's and that's that's pocket change to us as well. So state made this contract to be able to get out of it. Now, why would you not just call him the interim? You're not going to do that. I think I don't know the situation where a coach would get called an interim in a where you promoted him to the full-time gig. Like you were not going to be able to construct a real search considering that you did not have an AD in the timing of when it happened. So you had to make somebody the head coach. I don't think they were going to give him an interim label for an entire year, calendar year. I don't just mean season. So I understand why, you know, you named him full-time head coach, why it was a four-year deal. Um, But obviously state worked that thing too to get out of it quickly. And this is why, right? You took a risk and just didn't pay off. Yeah. I mean, there was not even one positive sign that's justified bringing them back. I mean, the the outcomes of the games in itself were bad enough. But when you got our upcoming recruit class, that apparently is worse than Vandy's right now. So, it was justified. It's justifiable again, like everybody says. It's just he just he just wasn't ready for that for this job. Maybe go do like a G five job first, and then kind of. But he kind of got thrown into the fire, and it's just again, it's unfortunate. Unfortunate for him. Unfortunate uh, for the old, like the seniors like Jet and Buki. So. It's just, man, it's just a bad situation, but it's just, it had to be made. There was no way around it. It's just like, like we've all said this year, like that whole coaching staff was lost on the sidelines this year. So it's just like nobody had an answer. So I fully believe Selman will make the right hire whenever that's going to be. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it's just – it was a tough situation, right? And it it just didn't work, right? Arnett chose to make a lot of changes. Um, Obviously, you know, I was one of the ones who was a bit more vocal in that I did not agree with a lot of those changes, uh, which a lot of people didn't want to hear that. And But ultimately, hindsight being what it is, like, yeah, his decision to completely overhaul things offensively didn't work. The defensive side of the ball, which is his side of the ball, 
promoting Matt Brock did not work. And the fact that nothing was really done about that to correct it didn't work. Um, you know, and I, I made this point many times where if you thought talent was that big of an issue on defense, you should have addressed it more in the portal than you did. Um, and I'm not saying whether he did or didn't, but like if you're going to use the excuse of, well, the defensive players were just not as good this year, you have a way to fix that as a coach in one offseason. You see coaches do it. Um, so, like, your on-field product suffered massively. Arnett, and I know that this has been a point people have talked about time and time again, has not at all acted like the coach that you think fits him, which is that fiery personality on the sidelines. And I'm not one to – like, I don't really care about that that much. I'm never one – like, it was always a complaint with Ben Hallen. People would get so mad because they would see Hallen never get showing emotion on the sidelines. And – I understand you want a coach who's like that, but like for me, like how a coach acts on the sidelines has never mattered much to me. But when you know how Arnett is, like you know he is that guy, and then he's just kind of not be. He clearly changed himself completely trying to be a head coach of a program. It just didn't work. And Lounge, you talked about the recruiting. It's been a disaster. And I know it's great. You know, JJ Harrell said today that he's still keeping his commitment fantastic we'll see we'll see whether that's the case or not i'm not trying to doubt the kid for his word you just literally never know um because that's just how these recruiting situations tend to go but yeah the recruiting class has been pathetic for for lack of a better word when the whole idea of this coaching staff was oh well they're gonna be all great recruiters well that hasn't been the case and they've been pretty poor coaches on top of that so I was gonna. Yeah, I was gonna. I hate to take a shot. Just it. Unfortunately, take a shot at what Leach uh, is. Uh, like knowing how to stat, like put, put a staff together. Because you see some of the guys that he he like Arnett kept, and then he shipped off. None of them have been worth a damn. Like you know, at their next stops. Yeah, I think Tarleton State is winning games. The the. With Mason Miller, who I think we can well, all agree that, that, we would well, rather have him. Listen, hey, that's my one pause. Will Friend will not be here next year. <laughs> no, look, I know there has been there's been the back and forth about keeping the old staff versus the way it changed. Here's what I will say. Even as someone who kind of wanted to stay within that offense, I'm not necessarily saying you had to keep all of those coaches. Now, I don't think – I'm not. I don't think you had to promote those guys to play callers. I think Mason Miller should have stayed on as uh, offensive line coach, no question. Um, as for Hollingshead and Spurrier, maybe if you kept one of them because you're only going to have one receiver coach, and then somebody else takes over like tight end or something. I don't think having. I, I think those guys. Spurrier's in a unique situation where he's not running the air raid because his coach is not an air raid coach. It's Kevin Wilson who has his own offense. And this is one of those things where some guys are just, they want the opportunity to go be a play caller. If you, if you coach for Kevin Wilson, you're running Kevin Wilson's offense. I'm not saying Spurrier has no input, no ideas what they're doing. Also, I will say Spurrier was not the one that I would have promoted if I would have promoted somebody on that staff, but I know he keeps coming up. Um, So, I don't. I don't know how much. Like, I think some of that is Tulsa just sucks, and I also think Kevin Wilson is not a good coach. 
Hollingshead, it hasn't worked out super well this year, WKU, but I think they've had some they've had some weird issues this season that I think go again go beyond play calling. But like for me, it would have been just like man, I, I talked about him a lot. Like I, I think going and getting uh oh my god, why can't I think of his name? Um You gonna say Graham Harrell? No, he he hasn't worked out all that well. I was uh, Chris say, Hatcher. Yeah, produce. Chris Hatcher at Samford. Like who, by the way, has been a successful head coach. I think Samford has had a, a down year this year, but they literally won like 11, 12 games a year ago and have a productive offense. And like he, you talk about the idea of like a modernized air raid attack that is willing to use tight ends, is willing to run the football more. Like Sam, he does that. He runs the quarterback a bunch. He runs the ball a bunch. But it's a lot of the same stuff that our guys knew. That's the direction I would have taken things. But Or at the very least, finding an offensive-minded coach who is – or an offensive coordinator who is not trying to embrace bully ball, which I think is part of the problem. And I'll, I've said on this show, I don't know how much of this is truly Barbet. I really don't. I do have my doubts about whether or not he's really been able to run what he would like to run. But regardless of who's responsible, it hasn't worked. Um, but yeah, like the coaching staff clearly it just it didn't come together and you've got nothing to be excited about, and the fan base was basically ready to revolt. So a change had to be made. Um now, you know, the the greatest coach in Mississippi State history, Greg Knox, gets to take over as the interim for these last two games. Um, you know. You have, still have Chad Bumpus around to get people fired up for the Egg Bowl. Hopefully, you get enough juice that you can handle your business this weekend to get Southern. And then, look, I don't, I don't care how much guys get fired up. I don't think it's going to lead to them beating Ole Miss this year. I, but you can at least hope that you get a better effort because, at this point, I think we were expecting you going. And maybe this still happened, but I think we were all we were expecting at this point that game might be like sixty to seven or something like Man, that. At this point, for some of those guys. It's a it's an evaluation tape for the next coach. You're no, you're absolutely right. I think there's definitely still guys on that staff that would be that we know are good coaches and could be valuable options. Now's your time to prove it. Um, are so, you talking about the coaches? I think there's a few on that staff. Oh, I was talking about the players. Both. <laughs> I mean, it's it's the case for both of them. Um, I mean, but obviously some of these guys you talk about about you know, proving yourself. You're trying to prove yourself to uh put yourself at the portal and, and get another option. That's just how that goes. But um, you, you definitely hope you get a fired up effort the last two weeks, and that you can then, you know, if a miracle happens and you win out and go to a bowl game, fantastic. If you don't, well, it's time for a new new era of the sport. So speaking of that, time to talk candidates. Um. I've got a list of, I think it's nine names that kind of the top names you were seeing on the early hot boards that have come out. These are all coaches that state fans have been discussing now, really for the past month. Every single one of these guys has come up. Uh, but these were sort of the, and, and there's more that st- have come up that state fans are excited for. The, what we're going to do is this is going to be the hidden in the main names on the hot list that are like consistently you're seeing every publication that puts out a hot board this is who you're seeing. And then the next pod is going to be more guys um, who maybe they would become options. What I do want to go ahead and start with, though, is let's get it out of the way. Some of these guys are not coming here. 
Um, some of the, some of the guys that state fans have been talking about well, are not would ne- we're not coming here and are never coming here. I, I've I found out really quickly, and I know look, this is the case for every single job in the country, so it's not exclusive to Mississippi State. Some of our fans, though, the opinion that you have of the value of the Mississippi State job, like there are a significant number of people who genuinely believe it is as simple as well, if we offer this guy nine million a year, like we're an SEC job, he's definitely going to come take it. Doesn't work that way. Not everyone cares about coming to the SEC. Not everyone views it solely as a paycheck. Like, all right, this is going to be a statement that pisses a lot of people off, but there is some accuracy to it. And I know this guy talks to coaches, so he's not just pulling this out of his, you know, you know what. He is saying it based on what he hears from coaches. Bud Elliott from over on 247 Sports and the Cover 3 podcast today, they were discussing the job. And what he talked about with the Mississippi State job is that there are going to be coaches who view that as a paycheck job. As if I go and take that job, I am guaranteed to be generationally wealthy. I will be loaded for the rest of my life. But I have to risk that if it doesn't work out, I may never get an opportunity at the big level again. And here's people are going to get mad at that. You look at a guy like a Joe Morgan, you see how it didn't work out. You look at Zach Arnett, you see how it didn't work out. It's not a guarantee that a guy comes in here as success, successful because it, it's not the easiest job in the world. I think we can all admit Mississippi State's not an easy job in football. Like, you needed Dan Mullen, who was an incredible coach, to lay the foundation that he did. You needed Mike Leach, who was an all-time coach, to be able to come in and build things up and have some success. And then, unfortunately, we didn't get to see it play out. But the history is a struggle. And there's a lot of coaches coaches who are going to look at that and say, yeah, I might go and I might get a big payday, but what are my chances of turning that into another job? What are the chances I win enough that I can take the next step? And, and some of it, like state fans, I think there's a few jobs that they're just they're dead wrong about what, what's better. Like you see people talking about Washington's coach, Kalen DeBoer. Guys, Washington is a significantly better job than Mississippi State. It just is. Yeah. And, and now I mean, now they're going to the Big Ten. So if you're talking about, well, well, what's well, a Pac-12 job? Not anymore. Like, like and there are people saying we, we can pull him. But like just a few of the names that have come up, like De- obviously people are going to talk about Dion. I think most people have recognized that's not happening. And I also think a lot of people at this point wouldn't want that. <laughs> that man don't want to come back to Mississippi. He he left. He don't want to come back. Uh, Texas. Either I don't think he'll go. I don't think he'll get a And M. But he he has his sights set on a Texas job. Part of the reason Colorado was in the Big Twelve right now is because of Dion, which is crazy to let a head coach have that type of impact, which. I don't blame them because the Pac-12, you see what it's become. And the Big 12 could be a good league going forward. But that man has his sights set on the Lone Star State. But like Chris Kleiman, Kansas State, that's that's one of those people that are like, well, it's, it's just K-State, it's just the Big 12. Chris Kleiman is like a career Midwesterner or like Great Plains region who fits in perfectly there. And honestly, you look at K-State, the new Big 12, that's going to be – they just won the Big 12 last season. That's a team that is going to compete for the, the Big 12 championship almost every single year and thus be complete, competing to go to the playoff pretty much every single year. He has chances of winning a lot more. And yeah, I think with the new contracts from the TV, we'll be able to pay more. But I don't think we're going to be able to pay so much more that he would be like, why, why would Chris Kleiman leave K-State to come to Mississippi State? Why would Kyle Whittingham is another one. I've seen several state fans bring him up. The man is not leaving Utah. No, he he is a Utah lifer. 
I don't think he I don't think he would leave if Alabama came calling. I genuinely don't. I think that man is he's at his spot. Mike Gundy is one. Now I will say this about Gundy. If you think he he's attached to his alma mater, don't buy into that. That man has tried to get out of Stillwater so many times. He's wanted the Florida job on multiple occasions. He's wanted the Tennessee job on multiple occasions. He's tried to get in the SEC. I don't think he would leave that job to come to Mississippi State. And also, Gundy just gives me a weird feeling, like he's there's an inconsistency to him. But I don't think you're getting him. And then the last one, just going to see State fans bringing him up, Bob Stoops is not happening. I, why would Bob Stoops come out of retirement <laughs> when he's getting to sell his tequila brand to come coach well, Mississippi State? Like, and listen, we need some big game Bob around here. I would look. It'd be nice to be in big games, you know. I would take losing big games because it means you're in them. But like, it, I understand some people just say the stuff because it's fun to say. There are state fans who genuinely believe every in every single one of those names. There's a fan who believes we can get it, and like I, I totally understand the mentality of, well, we we we're a big boy job, we're an SEC job, we have to pay. You like make them say no. All right, you're going to spend a lot of time chasing candidates who have zero shot at coming to your job, man. You have to be realistic with who you can get. So that's the point. That's just what I wanted to get through to you because I know some people are going to ask about those guys. Like, understand what the job is. I'm not saying Mississippi State's a bad job. Mississippi State is a good job. You can have success here, and I think you can have success here in the new SEC. But it is a challenge, and you better be a good coach, and you better be up for it. And a lot of guys, a lot of coaches aren't. A lot of coaches are like, man, I will gladly take my $4 million a year paycheck or this job where I know I can win 10, 12 games a year instead of trying to – and then potentially have the option at something better down the line. So with that all in mind, first name on the list, and I know Lowndes was, is big on this guy you were talking about today. The Grand Slam hire would be Lance Leipold from Kansas. He has done a remarkable job turning around the Jayhawk program that has been a, a disastrous place for the past 15 years. Since the end of the Mark Mangino era, they've, they've just been horrendous. Um, Obviously, year one, he shows progress. Like, they were much better, and then they, they literally beat Texas. Year two, he gets them to a bowl game. And, and then this year, they're 7-3. and three with a couple weeks left to go. I think they're out of the Big 12 race, but they've they've in like doing this with injury issues. They're on their third string quarterback now. He took a Buffalo program that was terrible and got double digit wins there. And then he just dominated at D3 Wisconsin Whitewater. The man knows how to coach. And he knows how to coach at places that well, Buffalo is not a good program and we we know what Kansas is. He can go into a tough situation and win football games. Um, so if you can get him with the job he's doing right now, look, he is like the hottest name. I think he'd be high on the list for Michigan State. That would be a knock it out of the park you absolutely take. Now, I mentioned Michigan State. He is from, you know, up north. He's like a Midwestern guy. Obviously, he spent a long time coaching Wisconsin Whitewater. I believe he, he played at Wisconsin or he like briefly coached at Wisconsin. He wanted the Wisconsin job last year when it ultimately went to Luke Fickle. I think the Michigan State job would interest him. I know he said, you know, he plans to be a Jayhawk for life, and he hasn't interviewed with them. That's coaches saying what coaches have to say. I don't know if what 
I don't think it's not that I don't think Mississippi State's a better job than Kansas. It is. I think Leipold, he's waiting for his opportunity to move up north. Um, I mean, I'm I don't think he's gonna wait from north. I mean, it's a like you said, this man can literally walk into the worst places for that ever exists for football and literally basically turn water or water into wine. And I think he wants to get somewhere. I mean, maybe not I mean Michigan State, yeah, they've had more racing success overall as a program. Uh, I think recently just won a Rose Bowl not too long ago. So, I think he entertained the offer if he threw some big money at him. So, I think there's a chance. I think there's a chance. Of course, like you said, don't tell You make them say no. Dan, what are your thoughts? I mean, I think you worded it perfectly. Uh, he he is the Grand Slam hire. Um, he he's got to be on that board, right? And and obviously, uh, I think it was fairly encouraging just listening to Selman earlier. I mean, anytime your AD speaks, right? You you want to just leave encourage, right? And, and and knowing that you know, yeah, they're gonna. I think uh, Jordan Rogers said it on uh, SC. Now he's like. He said, you know, I'm not going to talk again until I hire a new coach. He's like, yeah, leave me alone. Let me get to work, right? Like, let's get started now. Um, yeah, Leopold's a hot name. And and if you could get him with a school like Michigan State that could be calling or Northwestern could be calling um, or even, I mean, he could be down the list for a job like Texas A&M, um, although I'm sure they'll have their guy first. Uh it would be a great hire. It'd be phenomenal. And especially now that it's possible that um, that Arkansas isn't um, – they might be retaining Pittman. That would be helpful to stay here, right, because that's one less school that would potentially be calling him because it's looking like Leipold won't be at Kansas next year. Um, and, 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 yeah, should be number one priority for Selman and company. Well – I would say with Leipold, a thing to watch for, Kansas, I think, has invested like $400 million into football with some of the renovations they're going to be doing to the stadium. And just the, they have committed to saying, we are trying – they're basically saying, we want to keep you here. And they are going to try to fight to keep it. Um, the Big 12, it's you know an interesting situation where the two Blue Bloods leave, but you are bringing in more competition. And Kansas is still towards the bottom of that totem pole, if not the bottom of the totem pole in the new Big 12. But that has been a league that has allowed for quite a bit of upward mobility. Um, the fact that Kansas is setting at 7-3 and three right now is kind of the, the evidence of that. When you, I talked earlier about maybe coaches saying, like, okay, yeah, that's an intriguing offer, but I know I can – I feel more confident in, like, winning where I'm at and then turning that into an option down the line – I would not be shocked if Leipold is that – like, I don't think it's going to happen just because I think he is going to wait out that opportunity. If Michigan State doesn't get him this year, I think he's going to wait out the opportunity for a Big Ten job that opens down the line. I could be wrong. Um, and to Lounge's point, maybe maybe it literally comes down to, all right, break out the check and, and just and make it happen. 
And look, if you can, you can. Fantastic. But I definitely think it'll be a challenge if you can – a challenge to be able to pull that off. But, man, he's a fantastic coach. Um, he knows how to build in difficult situations. He's His teams are fun to watch. You know, they – it's a lot of run game. So it's stuff, you know, state fans are going to be familiar with. But he does a lot with misdirection. He does a lot with formation. Um, and just kind of like they know how like, – he's got a fantastic offensive coordinator in Andy Kudernick, who I think is one of the – most underrated play callers in the country uh, in their ability to uh, just scheme stuff open. So, man, if you can get him, that'd be fantastic. But I, I kind of have my doubts. Looking at the, the top options from the G5, um, the top of my list, this is the guy, if you're following me, you know I've, I've been bumping him for a while now. I want Rhett Lashley from SMU. Assuming I can't get Leipold, I think Lashley checks – just about every box you want if you're a state fan. He's currently a head coach, which I think is going to matter to people given the fact that your last couple of coordinator hires have not worked out. And I know Mullen was a coordinator, but still. So you got a guy who's a sitting head coach and is shown to win. And SMU, there's a good chance they win the American Conference this year. He has SEC experience from time time working under Gus Malzahn at Auburn. He played at Arkansas. He's from the state of Arkansas. So he, he's very familiar with the territory. He has an understanding of what the SEC is like culturally, what it's like from a, an expectation standpoint, which it's not like coaching at SMU. You don't deal with that as well, right? That That's another thing I think matters. When you can find a coach who has been in a pressure-filled environment, and I know SMU went a long, long time of kind of being lost in the desert after all the Pony Express fallout. But after Sonny Dykes kind of built that thing back up, that's a program that's back to expecting to be a – you know, it's 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 Dallas. you got to win football games. So he's used to dealing with the, the pressure that comes with that. Um, he runs an exciting offense. He, he is one of my favorites in terms of offensive scheme and the fact that, you know, he comes from the gush tree, but he's not running the Malzahn offense. He has Malzahn's run game. It's like, like he, you know he can build a run game because he's a Gus Malzahn guy. And he can run the football effectively. You know, he pushes tempo because he's a Gus Malzahn guy. His passing game is very much air raid because he worked under Sonny Dykes as, as the OC at SMU for a couple of years. And you look at what, like, he likes to go four wide and like drop back pass and, and throw the ball around, which is something that's like, I like. I don't want a coach who's just, and like, look, if he needs to lean on the run game, he will. But I don't want a guy who all he can do is run the football. And he's taken some of the, that veer and shoot, the, the Bryles offense that everyone's intrigued with, he's implemented some of that into his offense with the deep choice routes where it's you're taking the shot plays to, you know, send a one receiver on a just a, essentially a get open route and we're throwing it up to you. He's implemented that stuff into his offense and some of the ways that they use, use tempo, he's, he's mixed in. I think he's a brilliant offensive mind who is just like everywhere he goes, he scores points. And – I just think it would be tough. Look, it'd be tough because SMU is loaded, and SMU moving his, his buyout's going to be large. SMU moving to the ACC next year. How much does that impact his decision here? But I think if you can make it happen, I feel like that's a hire that really, really knocks it out the park. It's not a grand slam, but I think it, I think it knocks it out the park. I'm about to say, yeah, I've watched a little bit of SMU this year, and I'm I've been pretty impressed myself. So. 
I could get on with Brett Lashley being our head coach. Yeah, and no, I'll agree. Uh, great option. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, I'm going to just say a solid dude, right? Solid hire if he is hired. He's one of the guys I would be most confident in working out. And, again, look, how you're going to navigate, like I think the buyout is significant. It's probably in the 15 million range, if not more. I mean, that, that'd be a lot to pay. Um, but look, you're you just were cheap on a head coach. Your your own buyout for Arnett is not going to be a lot. But of course, like SMU has the ability to offer huge money for him. Now I do think it's worth waiting. Like it, it, it's worth him weighing how much of SMU and the ACC really ups that job. Like I think we're seeing some of those American conference schools that moved into the big 12 this year are kind of learning. It's not as simple as we walk in and we start winning. There is still an adjustment period to be made. And especially when you talk about SMU, who's not going to be in a territory they're familiar with working on, you know, the, the East coast, um, as opposed to solely being in the state of Texas, like, does that have an impact on their recruiting? Does that have, you know, just what results are they able to deliver on the field right away? I think it's a, it's a really fair question and does he feel like I wanted to give it this time? And like, I think this program can really turn into something or, Hey, I got a chance to get the SEC. I want to get there. Um, and look, Dan, obviously you talked about the Arkansas job. I'm sure Arkansas will be on his list. It's his alma mater. Um, so if that job comes open, which is another coach we're going to talk about later, who I think they would take over Rhett Lashley. I think also Arkansas probably going to shy away from SMU head coaches. Uh, Maybe unfairly, <laughs> just just because of the way the last one worked out for him. But if you can get him, I think it'd be great. But it might be tough to pull off. Another big name um, at the G five level who would probably be you know right there behind Lashley for me is Jamie Chadwell, a head coach at Liberty currently. Obviously, we we remember him coming up under Coastal Carolina, uh, really bursting onto the scene in twenty twenty with, I think the game everyone remembers is the BYU game where they scheduled it on like the Wednesday of that week. And then BYU comes across the country to play them and they got that win. And then, you, you know, they had a perfect regular season, lost their bowl game in a shootout, ironically to Liberty coached by you freeze at the time. Um, they, they followed it up with another 11 win season. Uh, and then last year, a little bit of a step back, but still a good year. I think they had some, some injury issues and, and then he goes and he takes the Liberty job and has got them rolling. They're undefeated. They're beating the crap out of almost everyone that they play. It's the weakest strength of schedule in the country to be fair. Uh, so like, are they legitimately, you know, like a, a, the top G five team? No, but the guy's winning games. He's winning more than they were winning last year under Hugh freeze. Um, he's just like, again, you talk about getting a guy who's a winner. He knows how to do it. Now, Liberty is a job that is going to be positioned to dominate Conference USA because they have legit Power 5 money. Um, but Coastal is not that. Coastal Carolina is a job that, eh, like, they, they're they're poor when it comes to finances. That's not an easy place to win. And, like, they, they made the transition from FCS. They were a pretty good FCS team when they moved up to FBS. But it wasn't a case like App State, Georgia Southern, James Madison this year. Like, those teams have come in and have won right away. Coastal did not. 
just to give you an idea here, comparison wise, they they were down. Chadwell had to build them up, and he did so and did so very effectively. Um, the big thing with him is his offensive system. You talk about the idea of doing something different; he's different. It's very much it's it's kind of spread triple option, um, and it's I don't mean spread option in the sense of like well Dan Mullen you know run zone read with quarterbacks. It's literally at times running the triple option just out of the shotgun or out of the pistol. Um, but he he has an effective passing game as well. He had a year with, you know, Grace McCall threw like 30 touchdowns. He's had, he had a year where he had like two receivers up around a thousand yards. He's had a tight end who had 900 yards receiving. Um, he does a lot with the RPO game and, you know, he, and he can construct a passing game. That's the big thing with him is like, this is not a case of he comes in and well, every receiver and quarterback on the roster is going to say, uh-uh, I don't want to play. Like, you can have, like, again, Grayson McCall, go watch him and tell me how many quarterbacks wouldn't want to play in that system. It's a fun offense to play in, but it's also an offense that can be difficult to prepare for. And I think that is huge. When you're at a Mississippi State, you need to be doing something different than your opponents are. Having that edge can help a lot. He has like a 70 70- Four percent career winning percentage as a head coach, or something crazy like that. Like the guy just wins freaking football games. He's a Southerner, so in terms of having the ties down here, he, that he has that. The only downfall in him, and this is the only reason he is not currently at a Power Five job, he has never been at a Power Five job in any facet. Like not even as a GA. Oh. So he's he does not have that type of background where he's been around big time football, and unfortunately, a lot of programs like that is a Oh, you bet you don't have power five experience, you're off the list. I think it's a dumb mentality to have because if a guy can win, a guy can win. Uh Chris Kleiman, I don't think, had power five experience prior to going to K-State. I think they're pretty happy with how that's worked out. Lance Leipold, I'm pretty sure he had like one year as a GA at like Kansas or or it was uh, no, I think it was Wisconsin. He had like one year as a GA at Wisconsin before going off and working at small time football. I think the guy has shown he knows how to win regardless of, of not being at that level. But that's something that matters to these programs, and that's why Chadwell has not gotten that opportunity yet. I don't think we'd be a bad – like, I don't think it'd be a bad choice. I think he – I would be willing to, I guess, take the quote-unquote risk of a guy who hasn't been at this level for a guy who has shown, hey, man, he wins football games and he runs a system that would be very beneficial in a place like Mississippi State. Yeah, he, he's a guy that can win. And look, being ten and zero is being ten and zero. I mean, I don't, I don't care who you are, right? He's ten and zero right now. Um, that that that's no small feat at the moment. And so, uh, and like you said, Andrew, the, the man wins a lot. I'd say, yeah, he, he's de- he shouldn't be priority number one, but he's a guy that that, yeah, I, I think it's worth taking a risk on a guy like him if you can get him. I, and and I'm definitely one that I, I'm okay with, you know, Mississippi State hiring. I'd be fine with that one. Yeah, he's he's obviously my th- my third option. Uh, I mean, like like you said, if you can win, you win. I'm about to say it doesn't matter what level you are. You just we just need somebody with legit head coaching experience, and obviously Chad Chad Will has that so. I wouldn't be I would I wouldn't be upset with that hire at all. Oh, I think it'd be I think it'd be a fantastic hire. Um and like I, I would I also think like he he seems like the type of guy that I just remembering those coastal teams, 
his guys got fired up to play for him a lot. Like they had a great team culture that I think, I mean, it does matter. Like I think at state, you have to find a different edge in different ways. And I, I do think he brings some, I don't know much about him as a recruiter, but I just think like there's a young energy to him where he get, he can get guys interested in coming to play for him. Um, yeah, I think I think he could be really successful. Speaking of a guy who does things a little bit differently, or you know, frankly, has at times run a similar offense. He doesn't really do it now, but uh, kind of fits the same mold as a Lance Leipold. But you know, you draw some comparisons to a Jamie Chadwell as well. Willie Fritz, which I think there's probably a few people wondering how on earth has he not been brought up yet to this point, considering what Tulane did last season and the fact that they could potentially do the same things this year. Um, obviously last year, you know, they, what was it? 13 and one, uh, they took down Kansas state in the regular season. They took down USC in the cotton bowl. Um, their only loss inexplicably was to Southern miss, which was like the most random thing, which Southern went to a bowl game last year, but still Tulane should not have lost that game. Um, but like the the best season, I, I know Tulane 1998 went undefeated. I would confidently say last season was the best team in school history um, to have gone and won a Cotton Bowl and have wins over the Big 12 champ and USC with the Heisman winner. Um, another guy who just is a, a long time working at small jobs and t- taking over tough situations and turning them into winners. Earlier today in a group chat, I had it just, you know one guy said that Willie Fritz is kind of just an older Lance Leipold. And he also pointed out Jamie Chadwell might be the younger version of the two as well, when you consider his path and what he's done. Will, I mean, Willie Fritz has been doing this a very long time, and he absolutely is a guy that I just think brings a steady hand and can walk into a tough situation and say, this is what we have to do to win. Um, he, and his pass is a little bit more spread triple. Um, and I think he did that early on at Tulane. The last few years, that's not really what they've been. Uh, they definitely still run the ball a lot and have some option looks, but it's mostly kind of a just a, a typical modern spread attack with what they've done the last couple of years. But it obviously helps when you have have a quarterback um, like they do that you're able to you know run a little bit more of a traditional traditional style offense. Um, but again, he's just a really good coach. Now, I mean, the knock on him would be age. He he's been around a very long time. Uh, I think he's like 62, 63. So you're probably talking about his next job is going to be his last stop. Um, you know, there. I don't think he has the power five experience. I wouldn't really care about that. I feel like Willie Fritz is one of those guys where he's proven it long enough. It's like, so what? But um, the age is kind of the one holdup. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's the flashiest hire in the world because you see these other guys where they're boasting like, these unique, it's like the young, energetic coach who's boosting a unique offense. And, but I think w- w- Mississippi State, I can tell you, could do a whole lot worse than Willie Fritz. Oh yeah, yeah. It, while the age could also be like, I guess, a disadvantage because, right? I mean, it, it would be his last stop. But the the one plus is, you know, he's not going to be looking for another job. Right. That that was the thing when we brought in Mike Leach was, you know, with the tenure that he had at the schools he was at. We, obviously, no one could have foreseen his, his death. But we all agreed, yeah, this would be his last coaching gig. Mississippi State would be his final spot. 
right? He, he'd been coaching a long time, and he, he'd usually stay there decent, decent stretches, right? Nearly a decade, and you could you could say the same about Willie Fritz in that regard. That okay, at least hiring him, you're getting a guy who can prove he, he can prove that he can win, and he's not gonna you know try to try to Jimmy Sexton you out of a bunch of money every single year. Um, is it, not not gonna be looking to to rebuild another program right not at that age. So that that would be one plus I'd have with Willie Fritz, albeit right. You just don't know how much longer he wants to coach. Yeah. Um, it, I forgot. I almost forgot what I was going to say. No, I remember. Like, you could definitely do a lot worse. And I do think a thing with him, when you consider changing landscape within the SEC, you have Texas and Oklahoma coming in, which makes life tougher. It just does. Especially if you go to a nine-game conference schedule, which I would anticipate. Having a coach who you know can, again, I can take walk over a difficult situation and help you transition into that. Something that sticks out to me, it's not quite the same thing, but uh, he was at Georgia Southern for a couple of years. His first season at Georgia Southern was 2014, which was their first season moving up to FBS from FCS, where Jeff Munkin, who's now the head coach at Army, had been, had been there for a long time and done a successful job. He leaves – their first year is an FBS program, so their first year going into the Sun Belt against tougher competition than they had been facing, that was Willie Fritz coaching them. And he they went nine went nine and four his first year. And I think that like that is a transition for a program. Like, okay, life gets tougher. You've you've had success, you've been doing things a certain way. Now life's about to get more difficult on you. Who's the guy to come in and like lead you through that? Willie Fritz was that guy. Maybe you could get that same thing happening at Mississippi State. Um, what I will say for him is, you know, his name has come up for the Northwestern job. I feel like David Braun, who's the interim there, is probably just going to get promoted at this point. They're five and five, and he could absolutely get them to a bowl game, which would be uh, if he gets them to a bowl. I don't have a question that they're going to promote him to the full time head coach. But uh, look, uh, Northwestern would make a lot of sense when you consider it's a small private school in a big city. That's like it, it's. Hey, it's big. It's big time too late. It's the, like the same job, essentially, just comparing the American Conference to the Big Ten. So he would make a ton of sense there. I will also say that if Lance Leipold leaves for Kansas, like the, the top guy on their list is going to be Willie Fritz. He is a Kansas native. He's done a lot of time coaching in that part of the country. Um, I could, you know, again, we talked about this earlier with, with Leipold. Is Mississippi State a better job in Kansas? Yes. Could a guy like Willie Fritz say he would rather be a KU? I could definitely see it. If you talk about he wants to get back close to home for his last job at a place where the expectations are not going to be as high and you're not going to be under as much pressure, that could be something to watch for there. Uh, but he would definitely be high on the list if you can get him. Last of the G5 head coaches we'll talk about. Um, well, technically there's another one we'll talk about later, but he kind of falls into a different category. John Sumrall at Troy. He's – he lounge. He's on the list. He, he's going to be on the list. It just he has done an outstanding job in two seasons as Troy's head coach. His first year, he walks in and they win twelve games and win the conference after being terrible the year before under Chip Lindsey. This year, they've got a chance to win the conference yet again. He is a great defensive mind. He has experience in the SEC coaching at both Ole Miss and Kentucky, 
So he, I mean, he knows the territory well. He's just a, a good up and coming head coach that a lot of people have said for a few years. Well, basically said said since last year that guy's going to be in the SEC soon. Well, here's an SEC opening. Now, it's not an exciting brand of football. Like it, no, it's very no, it's, pass, pass. I'm tired of three yards and a cloud of dust. I okay. Let me say this though. I didn't. I should have pulled it up ahead of time. Their offense was bad last year. I will say, no question. This year, it's a little different. Um, so they're averaging 29 a game, which is not incredible. But the last three of the uh, four of the last five weeks, 37 to three, 19 nothing, whatever. But that was Army. So playing Army, you're not going to score as much. That's 31 13, 28 10, 45 14. They've scored more. I will say that. Uh, their quarterback, uh, Gunnar Watson, 2,600 passing yards, 21 touchdowns on the season. He's averaging 265 passing yards a game. Um, what are they running for? Running for 153. So they're putting up over 400 yards of offense. Um, it's not – look, it's not otherworldly offense. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is their offense is not – last year their offense was tough to watch. Uh, like, let, let me – last year they averaged 358 a game. Of offense, um, and what well, you know they they score, they scored about twenty six points a game, and they won twelve games because of how good they were defensively. The offense has gotten better this year. It would not be sexy. I, it's not a hire that I would be like, you know, super super excited about. But he's a good coach, and it I it, for that reason it makes sense. This is this is one of those that yeah. It is it is a higher risk, but potentially could have very high reward. Although right, I, I'm going to disagree. I don't think it's high risk. I think this is kind of a okay as as little. It's impossible to not say that there's risk when you're hiring a G five coach. You just never know how that's gonna that's gonna work out. In terms of a steady hand, in terms of a coach that I would be confident would come in and get us going to bowl games and have decent results, he would probably be relatively high on that list. But people are not going to be excited watching his team. And and that's, I think it's loud. That's, that's, that's a quality quality yeah. trait right there. Listen, Mike Leach's air raid wasn't exciting at times. It was literally dink and dunk. Man, you got – this program has to change from three yards in a cloud of dust or a dink and dunk. Like, you got to be able to take shots down the field more frequently. But I think I, I would assume you all would agree with me, right? I would rather watch an exciting offense. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't tell you who his OC is. Uh, it's a guy who came up under Chad Morris. <laughs> Which, well, as, okay. long as, as long as Chad Morris isn't involved. Yeah, because I will say we're not talking about him today, and maybe I should add him to the, the list for, for the next show. Jeff Trailer, the head coach at UTSA, who, like, I think everybody would say, hey, that's a really good head coach. He's a Chad Morris guy, <laughs> technically. Uh, but, um, I, it's one of those, like, how much do you weigh, A, having an offensive-minded head coach, and, B, 
product you're putting on the field relative to what the actual results are going to be. Um, I think he would do a good job, but I can also understand, fully understand the idea. We'd rather go somewhere else, go, go get someone else who it's going to be a little bit more exciting. Um, but his name has popped up on the hot boards and I could, I could have told you that was going to happen. Like it just, it makes a lot of sense. I, I will say though, the fact that MSU just had a defensive head coach and the offense was so bad. And I think that the fans are desperate to see good offense. That probably does hurt him a little bit. Uh, the only offensive coordinator we're going to talk about today is the one who's gotten talked about the most. And he has shown up on the early hot boards. And, you know, I know most fans have come around to the idea of we, we need to get a sitting head coach. That tends to be what, what people are going to say. But you have to consider some coordinators, and that's Jeff Levy at Oklahoma. Obviously, he would check a lot of boxes in the sense that he runs an exciting offense and scores a lot of points. He has experience in the SEC from his time coaching with Kiffin at Ole Miss. Um, he's having success at a big-time program this year in Oklahoma overall. They've, they've been disappointing a little bit the last few weeks. On the surface, you look at it and it's like, yeah, if you're going to hire an OC, that's probably the guy. The reason it's not going to happen, at least I don't think it's going to happen, is because of the situation going on with Jeff Levy right now and OU's athletic department. Those who are not familiar, Jeff Levy, he was on the staff at Baylor for the Bryles years, so he runs that beer-and-shoot offense. He is the son-in-law of Art Bryles. So he, you know, he's literally made himself family to the, the godfather of that offense, but also the guy who oversaw the worst scandal in college football history and was on staff for that stuff. Now, Levy, for a while, it felt like he'd moved past a lot of that. It, it really had not come up. He had been able to get other jobs, been able to advance his career, and he was really in position that this season was probably going to get a big-time gig out of it. Well, then Jeff Levy decided he was going to bring Art Riles on the sidelines for a game earlier this season, which I know there are people listening at home who think, you know, that stuff shouldn't matter, that's not a big deal, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of accepted Art Riles does not get to have a spot anywhere in college football for the rest of his life. And I think that is totally justified, even whether he's your father-in-law or not. And after the game, you know, he was asked about it. And he acted like, what's the big deal? He's like, that's my father-in-law. He changed his Instagram profile pic to the picture of him and Art at the game as a, you know, like a middle finger to everybody who was questioning him. Well, if you're someone who thinks it wasn't a big deal, I will tell you that his bosses disagree because Brent Venables and Joe Castiglione, the OU athletic director, both issued statements of this is unacceptable. And they basically said without saying it, we told him he was not supposed to do this and he did it anyway. Like they didn't officially come out and say that, but they they basically phrased it of we thought it was understood this would not be happening was kind of along the lines of what they said for this. Since that point, people at OU, their athletic department, have kind of made it very clear they hate the guy. They are ready to see him gone. They're not happy with him. His offense has not been producing the way they would like, and considering the way his offense played in the last Bedlam game to ever be played, and they just they, – they're, it's not their biggest rival, but their annoying little brother that they never want to hear from is going to now from the end – from now till the end of time is going to be able to say, yeah, well, we got the last one in a game where they only scored 24 points, uh, Oklahoma that is. They're not happy with him. To the point that the son of the athletic director, Joe Castiglione Jr., tweeted out publicly and has not deleted the tweet about how Levy does not take responsibility. That's the son of the AD. 
Now, I know we all tweet things we sometimes shouldn't tweet, but you would think he would have been told, take that down if there were issues with it. Maybe it is deleted. I don't know. But regardless, the fact that he thought like the son of the AD could say that, they don't like him. So why does this matter for Mississippi State? Who is Mississippi State's AD? Zach Selman. Where did Zach Selman come from? Oklahoma, where he spent the last 10 years working under Joe Castiglione. Oklahoma's kind of his dream job. I do not imagine there is a world. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've been talking a little long here, so now I'm coughing. I do not imagine there is a world where he is going to want to cross his mentor by hiring the guy that his mentor has basically decided he hates. I don't know. Maybe you could spin it the other way. Is like, well, he's actually taking him off of OU's hands. So I guess that would be the the, the, the way to spin it. I just I don't think it's going to happen because there is legit bad blood there. And I think if Selman wants to ever have a shot at Oklahoma and, and their power players who clearly do not like Levy, I don't think he's going to make the hire. I'd agree with that. I, I think with all the 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 I guess discontent or whatever thrown around him right now at that program. Yeah, he might just not be there next year, not even like taking a new job, but just like they might just kind of boot him out or something at the end of the season, uh, regardless of how they – especially with how they're finishing right now. Uh, they they probably could have lost the uh, the Big 12 now with these uh, losses they've been taking after they, they got that big win at Texas. So, yeah. yeah. It'd be fun to see, but uh, – I think you're making a really good point just with all the speculation, all that. It's just, I, it's, yeah, I'm with you. I just don't think it's going to happen. No, last thing, last thing we want is to uh, bring drama into this university. Okay. I've been seeing Urban Meyer wearing maroon and white on Twitter today. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what we need around here. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and look, I mean, I, I will also say like, I would have my questions about Levy anyway. Um, just, I mean, he did score. They did score fifty nine on West Virginia. They, their their last game, they did put up big points. My question with him is not really as an offensive mind, although I do think if you want that offense, there are guys who run it better than him. No, Kendall Bryles is not one of them. Uh, it, I think it's ironic that the two guys who are closest to the inventor of the offense are, in my opinion, the two worst ones at running that offense. Um. Just, you know, that, that's – I think there's other options you could do it better. But uh, I, I just – I would worry the way that he, he has made it clear he still feels, you know, that Art was blackballed and that Art did nothing wrong. There, there was nothing wrong with how we conducted ourselves at OU. That would make me worry that when that guy gets a head coaching job, he would run things very similarly to the way that they ran things at Baylor. And – I'm not saying you would have the same issues pile up, but you would be taking on that risk. And, and I would not want that for an issue. But I mean, look, I, I get, he checks a lot of boxes on the surface, but I, I just, I think there's a lot of risk there, but I also just don't think our OU's our OU, our AD was from OU would, would do that. Last category here. And then we'll try to see if we can get through these quick enough and we can take a few questions that I asked for you guys, the retreads. We'll start off with Lounge's favorite candidate in all of this, Gus Malzahn, uh, the former Auburn head coach, currently at UCF. Did just get a big win over Oklahoma State, absolutely dominated them. Uh, look, 
Gus, we know what he is, right? He it's the hurry up, no huddle. It's the like the the power spread, smash mouth spread offense. Um, just playing super fast, running the freaking football, and hopefully doing enough to annoy Nick Saban. That, that's kind of what Gus Malzahn's mo is. Um, his track record at Auburn. Overall, like there were some good moments, there were some rough moments mixed in there. Probably was not as bad as Auburn fans think because Auburn fans are a bit delusional, uh, and their booster culture is pretty terrible. But they're also justified that uh, you know going six and six and seven and five and having Sean White be your quarterback uh, and Jeremy Johnson be your quarterback, you probably don't want that at Auburn. Um, look, obviously, look, he knows the lay of the land in the SEC. He's a pretty good recruiter. Um, and he's done a, a solid job at UCF. We'll see if they can get to a bowl game this year. But like I said, it, it's year one moving up for them. That was going to be tough. It's my thing with Gus, and if the same thing applies to the next guy we'll talk about, is because, like, I'll, I'll go ahead and bring this up. So Walking Bully, uh, one of our most devout listeners on the show, uh, sent in a post. He, he gave us this last week if we wanted to talk about it. It was basically a, over on – I think this is elite dogs. Yeah. A lot like they were talking about Tom Herman, who's the next guy we'll mention relative to Gus. And it was like, they were appalled that someone could want Tom Herman and not want Gus Malzahn. And I actually agree with that point. Cause to me, they're the same coach. And like, I'll bring up Herman in the same thing. Like Herman's the exact same situation. It's just, he did it at Texas where good offense, good recruiter, Won some big games, had some good moments, but also just didn't quite live up to the expectations that their crazy boosters and toxic boosters really set. They're, like, they're both the same coach. And the question I would have is, like, on the surface, the wins and losses that both Gus Malzahn and Tom Herman produced, if you said you get that at Mississippi State, absolutely you sign up for it. No, no doubt about it. But those are the results at Auburn and Texas. With Auburn and Texas talent and their resources. And the post that Walk and Bully sent, they were making the point that Harmon was doing that at the job in Texas that should be the top program, was the top recruiter within his conference. At least for Gus, you could say that, you know, they were going to be behind Alabama, Georgia, LSU, who they had to play every single year, which is part of why Auburn fan expectations are ridiculous, is your three biggest rivals, sorry, they're all better programs than you. Good luck. Um. So, I mean, that would be a point for Gus for that matter. But getting back to what I was saying there, it's how confident you would you be that the results you get from them at those jobs are the results that they would give you at Mississippi State? Not very high. Yeah, I don't know. But, well, like I said. I've, wa- I've watched enough Gus football, and I've – I got the discussion with Bo Bo Bounds about that. I said, "Listen, I watched enough Auburn football to know it. Auburn Auburn fans had a legitimate case because, like, and you realize that he never really developed a quarterback while he was at Auburn. Like, well, I I think part of Gus's problem is I don't think if he does not have a prototype for his for his offense, I don't think he can run a successful offense that consistently." No. Like, I think Mullen, you can give him anyone and he'll find a way to score some points. And we'll, we'll yeah. talk Mullen in a sec. Um, but yeah. I, uh, we? I, say, I, I, thought, I thought all the bridges were burned on that one. But 
to your point about Gus, like, look, he's not a bad head coach. I, I don't think he is. I, I, I think he could do okay at State. I don't think he should be one of your top targets. I, I think it's a very real point to be worried about that the way he was able to be successful there, I don't know if he can be successful here. And the same applies for Tom Herman, which Tom Herman's probably about to go like five and seven, four and eight at FAU, and they just lost to East Carolina, who's the worst team in the American. Now, they did move up from Conference USA. They did have a quarterback injury. It, it's a tough situation. I need you to do better than that if you were going to sell me on trying to bring Tom Herman back in year one. Not always fair, but it just I kind of feel the exact same way about Herman that I would feel about Gus. Like, baseline, probably okay, but I don't know if it's going to be good enough. Now, on to him since we brought him up, Dan Mullen. What I will say, and this is the take that my uh, our guy Justin Strawn uh, from Bruno White Nation had today. Uh, if you get through five and six guys and you haven't found somebody, that's when I think you call Mullen. I think I trust Mullen to run a clean program. I trust Mullen to develop players. I trust Mullen to find a way to field a competent offense. Am I confident that Mullen 2.0 at Mississippi State would be able to match Mullen 1.0. I am not. I just think it's a it's a new situation. It's a new circumstance with a more difficult SEC. Um, you talk about handling NIL and the transfer portal, and I know I had the long thread that I did on Twitter the other day, kind of weighing the options back and forth over: is that actually a benefit to Mullen, or does it hurt him? You know, th- does the NIL stuff make it easier for him because now he doesn't have to recruit that hard? Well, it's like Mississippi State doesn't have great NIL. So in that case, do you need someone who can be a, a better recruiter to convince those kids to come despite the money? Or do you say, hey, we're not going to get those kids, so why don't we find a guy who knows how to find lower recruiting players and develop? I don't know. You can turn that any direction you want, but it doesn't even have the same fire behind him that he had last time. Like, I I, I think, glad you talked about Bridges being burned. I think most fans have turned the page on that, but I, I definitely would agree with the idea of it seems unlikely it would be what it was the last time. Yeah. And I, I'd say the man didn't like – the man didn't really like recruiting at Florida, which would have been, which was a lot easier to recruit down there. I mean, no, nah, I, can't, I can't go back there. I can't go back to that well. You know, I would. I, I'm one of those. I would take. I take the man back, right? Um, but the fact <laughs> getting him to come back would be part of the problem. Is I mean, look how well he's doing on television, right? The man is living his best life right now. He's still getting that. He's still got a lot of that Florida money, and on top of that, right? He, he just loves college football. If you're watching college football Saturday at home. You know, on on Saturdays, he's he's rocking your halftime. If you're watching on ESPN, he's calling your games. You're watching on Thursday night. So, I'm a, go ahead. Oh my bad, Dan. Go ahead. Let's just say it like you know he he's living his best life right now, right? To get him to come out of that, to get back into the grind of SEC coaching, it would take a lot. I mean, I would say, I mean, he's probably wanting to spend this time with his kids. She, they were, they were little kids when they were when he first started here. 
So I'm I'm sure he probably wants to spend more time with them because once you if he gets back to this, you can forget spending time with family as much as you want to. Because so that's probably another reason why he probably wouldn't come back. So I I tend to agree. I think Bolin definitely is happy. I don't know if the surefire thing he would take the job. Um, but I would agree with this. I I tend to agree with Dan that yeah, would I take him back? Sure. Like I, I think. He, I think there is a baseline of it shouldn't blow. I don't think it would blow up in our face. I will say that. I don't know if it would be what our fans are hoping for. And I feel like that's where you would, you would kind of want to see a, a fresh face. You can inject some new life. Um, We'll run through these questions real quick. A lot of them we've kind of already answered since we've gone through every, all of these candidates already, but because like right away, uh, Matthew Watkins, there's been a lot of talk about trying to get Dan Mullen. How would you feel about uh, him returning? Are we looking for a hire like Mike Leach that we could pluck from the Power Five school? Or are we looking for a group of five schools and coordinators? So, well, I think we all just gave our takes on 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 Mullen. As for the Leach thing, let me say this: I, I keep seeing people bring that up. Well, nobody thought we could get Mike Leach. Mike Leach was a very unique situation where you had literally an all-time great coach who happened to be at what is maybe the worst Power Five job in the country. There's not a ton of Power Five jobs that Mississippi State is better than. But there's also even some of the ones that they are better than, like I've discussed, not everybody's just going to be chomping at the bit. Mike Leach wanted to get in the SEC for a long time. You know, people. I saw somebody bring up Jackie Sherrill the other day. Nobody thought we'd get Jackie. Jackie Sherrill was not getting hired by a lot of programs because of the the baggage that came with his name from the, the sanctions in the NCAA. Like, MSU has gotten a big-time coach twice now because of very unique circumstances. I don't know who that coach is right now that we could get. So, sure, you would love to get a power five guy. I don't know who it is. Um, and, and, but I mean, other than that, like G5, I, I, I will say this, like I, I would pref much prefer to get a head coach and a uh, power five coordinator right now. I want someone who has shown they could be a head coach. Uh, Perry cafeteria thoughts on Jed fish. Either of y'all have opinions there. Oh, that'd be a good hire. Be solid. Could we get them? Um, well, with the financial situation in Arizona right now, there's a possibility. I just saw that. I'll have to read up on that. So I haven't seen it, but I'll, uh, I'll read up on it. They had like a they're they're short like two hundred forty million. Oh, yeah, because of some clerical error or whatever. I, I'll say this: <laughs> clerical error, two hundred forty million. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, man, it's not great. Uh, we got to do this quick. I mean, look, he he's a good coach. I think you would you would consider him. Uh, I don't know about fit, but the guy's having a really good, doing a really good job there. Um, Rob Montgomery, I'm going to trust Ross's list of name for the, uh, the time being, um, number one, and this was like his rank, number one, Leipold, two, Chadwell, Fritz, Herman, three, Lashley, Sumrall below the list. And then he was like below the list, Levy is, and I don't want Levy thought. I agree with you on Leipold, kind of agree with your top group, but I would not put Herman there. I'd put Lashley up and then I would probably have Sumrall ahead of Herman, um, Troy Vickers, please tell me Brock and Barbe have been relieved of their positions. No, they have not. They are staying on. Not, not uh, yet. Patience. <laughs> patience, young one. Patience. Walking bully. is important to get a guy with head coaching experience. I would say so. Yes. Absolutely right now. Yes. And that was it. So, so we ran through those uh, as we got about a minute left here on our Zoom call. I know there's a lot uh, to get through. And we're not done. The next episode, we're going to talk more names. Guys who we didn't talk much about in this episode, maybe we'll take a deeper look at a guy like a Jedfish. 
Um, a GJ Kenny, who I know people are really excited about. That's going to be kind of the plan for the next episode. And that's going to be our content over the next few weeks. We'll, we'll obviously talk some basketball as that comes in. I know, you know, both the men's and women's team both picked up their wins over the weekend. Uh, but attention mostly going to be on this football coaching search. So that'll do it for us today. Uh, thanks to Lounge and Dan for hopping on. As always, swing your sword. Hail State.